Hello, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Larry, thank you very much for revealing some of the secrets in the investment industry. I wonder if, uh, if the jails that uh, Stephen Harper is proposing to build will be large enough if they start prosecuting some of the financial criminals. Uh, you mentioned some numbers, but what what is your take on how, how fast can we prosecute these if they ever got around to making regulations uh, matters? Oh, that's a tough one. I, I've, uh, I've spent a lot of time trying to crunch the numbers, and I, I think the, the balance between what is spent on ordinary police in Canada and spent on policing financial criminals, it's 99.999% on one hand and 0.001 spent on the other. And so that is, that is going to take forever. It's going to take quite a long time to bring up the training and the wherewithal and the knowledge of current RCMP economic crimes, of prosecutors who have to deal with a, a, a mugging one minute and a... Uh, alcoholism the next and a car crash and a whole bunch of other things throughout the day and they cannot fit into a prosecutor's knowledge and experience a hundred million dollar crime somewhere in there so a hundred million dollar crimes are, are they're free reign it's it's every man for himself in my business so it's you are going to have to police yourself for quite some time and protect yourself and inform yourself because the people who you are paying to do it are not going to do it for you for, for your and my lifetime. Terry? Uh, Terry Shillington. Larry, thank you for your presentation and um, the information you brought. I'd like to place a question that we uh, discussed uh, with animation at our table, uh, namely uh, why. It's not clear to me why uh, politicians would grant an exemption so that people could <coughs> fleece us. Uh, and setting partisan comments aside, politicians generally run on a platform of serving the people. Uh, so could you just wrestle with uh, why would uh, um, Iris Evans and Ron Liepert and others uh, of different political stripes have so little interest in, this, uh, in, the, in the issues you raise? It's a really good question, and my, my 30 years of research allows me to speak with confidence about why the regulators act as handmaidens but I, I think at our table it was Van Christou that said it best. He said, there are in, the politicians are in part of a system, and the system is, uh, is sort of telling what these politicians to do rather than vice versa. And it's for loyalty, fear of losing their position within things, the status quo, that they go along with what they're told by the experts, uh, I think. And so if, if a politician is told this is good for the economy and these exemptions are normal and everything's fine, just go back to whatever you're doing in the legislature, I think they do that without questioning. And that's why I'd like each and every one of you to write a letter to the premier of your province and ask her that very same question. What public interest is being served? Because I can go far enough to say that the securities commissions are acting in breach of the public trust. And the securities commissions haven't challenged me on that thus far. Uh, but you should be asking that same question of your public servants. Are they acting negligently to, uh, to not protect you? And is it deliberate? It's a very good question, Terry. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Larry. Um, okay, so we've got these crimes. Can you give us a, 
a list of some of these crimes that uh, are supposedly not being dealt with by, uh, y you know, the powers that be? I have a list on my website. It's very haphazard, and, and as I said, there are no agencies in all of Canada that track the damage of financial crime. They're, they're starting to track it in the U.S., and there's a good professor in the University of Toronto that studies it, uh, Professor Puri. But go to Investor Advocates. There's a list, uh, the list there of financial crime more than every other crime in the country. It's some of the names I mentioned throughout my presentation. Uh, I think there's, you know, $60 billion a year as a rough number comes out to be, to me, more than a billion dollars a week that is being damaged in Canadians. So what's this week's fraud or, or investment malpractice or sales pitch or something? I don't know what that is. But I know that uh, most of the people in this room will, will retire with mutual fund positions retirement accounts approximately half what they could be if these subtle little financial malpractices weren't being applied to you each and every day. And the, the ways really are, are endless, Ian. I have a, f a topic there called the tricks of the trade. How many ways can you skim, scam, or, or milk an investment account? And uh, I, I couldn't begin to describe how many there are right now, but I encourage people to to start learning for themselves. Yes, sir. Mark Gettle is my name. Yeah, you imply that all these exemptions are really bad, but could you give us a, maybe a few examples of where these exemptions are actually justified and beneficial? Sure. Uh, I wouldn't say they're all bad. I would say they're all secret. Uh, and I would say that uh, they all have to meet a test of being in the public interest. Some of them can be as harmless as um, the company has had a death on the board of directors or sets such and such a reason and they'd like to delay filing of their third quarter reports or they'd like to, you know, various things. Out of 4,864 exemptions at the Alberta Commission, I can't claim to be an expert on each and every one of them. And some of them are very harmless. Uh, some of them are costing us a billion dollars a week. And I, I would like to focus on those ones. I mean... In, uh, when I was making my documentary film, I was doing the rounds in Toronto, and, and a, a Bay Street analyst there asked me about TerraNet Investments. To give you just one example, no one's heard of it, I hadn't heard of it either. They were trying to sell a TerraNet Income Trust. CIBC and Royal Bank were the underwriters. It wasn't going very well. People weren't happy with income trusts at the time. So what did they do? They went to the Ontario Securities Commission late on a Friday night after business hours, they received special permission to do an exemption to the law, the law against dumping a CIBC and Royal Bank new issue into their CIBC and Royal Bank mutual funds. They received permission to do that, so they took this thing that they couldn't sell and they dumped it on their mutual fund investors, which is typically not allowed to do. Mutual fund has to wait 90 days before it can buy a new issue of a related issuer. And they received permission to skip past that law, and it's just the left hand washing the right hand. Uh, so there's some good, you know, there's probably some good reasons out of that 5,000 exemptions, and there's enough in there that I can find a billion dollars a week. That's hurting you people. At our table, there was a really good question, too, about, um, well, it was about the, uh, the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm, that the med medical community has 
and um, I talked about it in, in terms of the investment community. And when I, I joined the industry, this is the Conduct and Practices course textbook that I had to study in 99. I'll hold that talk while I take your question, Tad. I'm, uh, I'm sorry I didn't see somebody at the mic. Go ahead. Thank you, Larry, for your scary talk. Mm. My name is Tad Mitsui. My question is quite, quite simple. What is too big to fail? To um, rescue, to let the Lehman Brothers go down, and yet AIG was rescued? Was it? What's the difference? Good question. I think too big to fail is a sales pitch that we would give to a politician when we would be seeking a bailout. And in the United States, I understand it to be going to the politicians and saying, listen, if you let Lehman Brothers fail or whoever else we're considering, the whole world is going to crash and everything is going to come to an end. And capitalism, as we know it, could grind to a halt. And end of times kind of discussion. So I think they sell the politician on the idea that we should get into the public purse and we should save the economy. Uh, I think the bigger question is too big to prosecute. And that's, that's what we do not do. I haven't seen a single prosecution in Canada in 30 years of anything that's in the neighborhood of $100 million. And that's the neighborhood that I used to travel in is $100 million. That's the neighborhood of bankers, lawyers, regulators, and politicians. I haven't seen one. Yes. Ron, Ron Renwick is my name. And uh, for the last few years, the federal government has been working on a national regulator and uh, I have two questions. Do you think that would help this situation? And secondly, why did Alberta oppose it? Uh, yes, good question, Ron. It, it would have helped only in that it always helps to, uh, to, to fire a, a broken system or, or take apart a broken system. I'm, uh, some people would call me um, someone who practices creative destruction it's like a mechanical thing. If the brakes in your car are burnt out on the left front wheel, you take the brakes off and you throw them in the garbage and replace them. If the securities regulatory system in Canada is broken, you take it apart, throw away what's broken, and that's what they attempted to do there. I can't say that it would have solved everything. I think it would have been the same people that were in the provincial system who would have gotten in charge of the federal system and it would be another whatever. Um, but to have 13 agencies in, in an economy the size of... Texas, they're all pointing fingers at this guy did it, no, it's his jurisdiction, no, it's his fault, no, it's a mutual fund dealership fault. Uh, it's like Keystone Cops. We, a senior can spend the last 10, 20 years of their life just trying to understand who, who the authority figure is, and as national securities regulator would have been a step in the right direction, and when I spoke in Ottawa, I told Ted Menzies, a better direction would be National Investor Protection Agency because that would go above all these regulators. That would skip, up, uh, skip over all the regulatory turf wars and just say, fine, you guys, you guys make as much of a mess of this as you want on a provincial basis, and we'll have a federal investment protection agency that looks after everybody. One agency on the client side is necessary when there's 122 on the investment industry side. I don't know if that helps, Ron. I think Van's answer was best. They were in the system. They liked the status quo. My salary at the head of the Alberta Securities Commission is half million dollars a year. I don't, I don't want anything to change. Thank you. 
That's all I can see. Not in the public interest. Bell. Hi, Larry. I know you for 30 years. And when I came to Lathwich, actually, from Brooks and Tabor, you were my advisor. And I actually admire you for this persistence and insisting and keep going with your, this mission to mm. make people aware. I tell you, you are doing a service nobody else is doing. Well, thank you. Thank you. After having said that, I have lived in this city. <laughs> I have lived here for 30 years. And I came from India 40 years ago, lived in Southern Alberta for 40 years. You know, when I came here, I was uh, watching uh, Canada very closely because I had been through some of the corrupt, most corrupt system in the world. I think African countries might be, beat India. But India, if there was an Olympics uh, about cha uh, championship and in, in, uh, corruption, India will beat any country. After having said that, it seems to me, even in Canada, the ignorance seems to be a bliss. People are really not aware of that. We're brainwashed. The governments, every government at every level, I can say is corrupt. I bet you have a question. I have a question. <laughs> I have a question. But I need to tell you where I'm going. And at the same time, we keep voting for the same people again and again and again because they don't know. What we need to do, Larry, to make people aware, the kind of awareness you have done since you left that old company of yours, that's what we need. And I'm working towards that. I go to door to door to teach people. And I want you to tell me how we can take it further. So I'll provide the question. Mm. Uh, yeah. I'm a small-time investor. And I would like I'll a little. Talk to you later, Bill. Yeah, <laughs> and I would like a little bit of help mm -hmm. in smelling some places where I might be taken advantage. Could you give me three or four pointers to help me be alert? Um, I, I won't take up the uh, t time of everybody here, but I will say that I have been blogging and writing as a kind of a, a to compensate for what I've been going through since 2004 at InvestorAdvocates.ca. You can go there. Is There's no cost. There's no registration. There's no advertising. Go there and learn what has been puked out of me for the last 8, 9, 10 years about what's wrong with the system and what the tricks of the trade are and how they affect you and how to get your money back if you've lost it with the help of a professional and how to spot a professional and how I, I'd, I'd refer you to that. Okay. Thanks. Larry, the one thing you mentioned <clears throat> um, had to do with some of the politicians being told by the civil servants, here's what you need to be doing. I spent 14 years in the provincial government in one of the departments, and that's basically what our job was. When the minister showed up, it was a case of don't give him any or her any bad news. Hmm. Okay. My question to you is, what do we do since the civil servants that we've hired as taxpayers and the politicians who are being hoodwinked, what can we do to turn the situation around other than attend this talk? 
Thank you, Blaine. Good. Uh, glad you mentioned it. Blaine has given me a copy of the Occupy Lethbridge Statement of Principles, and I think it's out front that you should look at. And that's one of the things that you can do is be open-minded to those canaries in the coal mine, those people who are speaking up, those young, naive people who don't know how to elaborate what the problem is, but they're naive enough to speak out and say there's a problem while we sit safely ensconced on our couches watching Dancing with the Stars. They are speaking out. So don't write them off. Listen to them and uh, enjoy the conversation. And I just try to, to make people aware. I'm not ready to have a revolution and overthrow the government, uh, but I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to an evolution of public awareness where everybody in this room knows about financial abuse and financial and malpractice, just like everybody learned about all the other forms of abuse that used to take place in the 19th, 20th centuries. Learn about it. It's uh, Right now, all, all you people in this room, all retail investors are fish food. Fish food. And you've got to learn not to be fish food. So I hope there's something here. And on that point, before Tad's talk, I was, talked, I was just going to say, this was the uh, textbook that I had to study with to get licensed. This one happens to be dated 1999. And in it, it says, Standards of Trustworthy and... Uh, Honesty and fairness, the priority of the client's interest. The client's interest must be the foremost consideration in all business dealings. Here's, a, uh, here's the stakeholders, the roundtable discussion 2011 from all the people who get together and call themselves investment industry stakeholders. These are the people who are deciding on how much of your dinner they're going to eat. And you're not at the table. They describe what an advisor is. An advisor is no longer an advisor with an advisor license. They go a little bit further and they say that, uh, that the uh, best interests today do not have to be, I'll read it here, uh, do not require financial professionals to put the interest of clients first or to disclose any existing conflicts of interest. In other words, the interests, it allows financial professionals to sell anything that can be generally called suitable, it need not be in the client's best interest. How did we get from here to here in 11 years? And you people don't know a thing about it. You're still seeing the same commercials on TV, the same trust me, the same I'm your wealth advisor, the same I will look after your retirement, the same bullshit if you'll pardon my uh, French. And this is gone. The, the rules are gone. The rules have been stolen from you. They've been sold out from underneath of you by bankers, lawyers, regulators, politicians. And I could come up with another couple in there, but I can't think of them at the moment. But those are the key figures who are dividing up the pie that you people are trying to live off of. That's enough on that topic. Any more? We have how, another can, one? how can you say that your business then is a self-regulating one? Uh, we police ourselves, we hire the regulators, we choose them, we pay them uh, three, four, five, six times as much money as they would earn in, in private practice. They do our bidding, they are, if you look up the word sycophant in the dictionary, uh, yes men, yes men, not psychophant, path, sycophant, uh, we buy our own, we buy our people, just like the tobacco industry does. And if you don't think we have enough money to buy a few people, God, it only takes $200,000 to buy a politician these days. $200,000, you can own a politician. That's the U.S. and some other places and some of the... I won't even get into it. Sorry, ma'am. 
Go ahead. Um, uh, Larry, thanks so much for this very important talk. Uh, my name is Rena Wass. Um, I think from what I've gleaned from this is our creative challenges, how do we make these, um, these uh, predators accountable? I watched a, a documentary a few years ago called The Corporation, and they compared a corporation um, to a psychopathic mindset. Mm -hmm. Now, I know in white-collar sector, a lot of people are attracted to making huge money, and a lot of those people are classic psychopaths. Mm -hmm. Do you want to maybe mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the kind of person that you know, doesn't have that ethical, um, I don't know, it, value that we are looking for. Mm -hmm. And then maybe elaborate on it just a little further about what can we do. Thank you. Okay. Uh, when, I, when I made my documentary, I started in 2004 after a, a person who was going through some of what I was going through. They were bullied legally to the <laughs> point of committing suicide. And I decided that this was important enough to speak about. So I made a, a film called Breach of Trust, and the subtitle is The Unique Violence of White-Collar Crime. And white-collar crime is the kind of abuse and violence that powerful, trusted people can bring down on vulnerable, weak, elderly people that can't do anything about it. And, and when people are abused in any way, shape, or form, they tend to get angry, they tend to retaliate, they tend to have some internal resentments and they tend to self-destruct and the violence of white-collar crime is that people have there's no oh, there's no recourse in this country there's no recourse in the United States uh, I should mention the US does 384 times more penalties than we do in Canada but in Canada there's virtually nothing you can do if you go to the the investment industry complain you get put within the investment industry's kangaroo courts their internal processes so it eats people up. It causes mental health problems. It causes family problems. It causes addiction problems. Not to mention what it does with the economy. Um, I'm babbling enough that I've almost forgotten your question. But the point is, <laughs> what is the point, Dave? The point is, uh, you have to become aware. You have to inform yourself. The people who are serving you are not protecting you. They may actually be preying upon you. And the people you've elected to protect you um, as Blaine said, they don't have a clue, and they don't have a care because they're in the system. They're quite fat, happy, and comfortable. Thank you very much. It's up to you. Dan? Uh, my name is Van Christou. Uh, Larry, thank you so much for being with us today with that message, a very important message. Um, would you say that seniors today are more vulnerable than they've ever been before in history? Uh, y yes, the greatest risk that seniors face today is advisor risk, and that comes from, um, I think it's Ken McKenzie, who is a financial advisor in eastern Canada, and he writes about interest rate risk and commodity risk and market risk and all that kind of stuff. And he wrote last week, and I, I put it on my webpage, that advisor risk is the greatest risk you face today. The risk that the person who shakes your hand and sends you a Christmas card and says, I'm thinking of you, and I'm your guy, and you can count on me for trusted financial advice, that person is a commissioned salesperson in 99.99999% of the time. And all you have to do is look up their license at the Alberta Securities Commission to know that they're, 
there's a bait and switch going on, so yes. Larry, thanks very much for uh, doing this today and, and for all the other work you're, you're doing on this file. Uh, my name is Mark Sandy Lands, and my question is uh, I'd like to hear the end of the story of your conversation with uh, Ted Menzies. Because the the uh, as we know the Supreme Court ruled that a national securities regulator uh, is uh, contrary to the Constitution of Canada, given the the, the division of responsibilities, uh, the Harper government apparently went forward without uh, consulting very much with the provinces on this. Uh, I think your idea is is a good one to uh, buy step. Step aside from that and, and uh, bring forward a, uh, a consumer protection advocate. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact term he used. What did Menzies say when you suggested that? I will not be responding to further correspondence on this subject. <laughs> Thank you very much, Larry, for, as, as Tad said, a scary presentation. <laughs> My name is Frances Schultz. I want to go back to the issue of the code of conduct. Up until 1999, apparently, the institution had proper code of conduct on how to handle the affairs of the clients. What happened to make this change after 1999 that it would appear that the crooks got a hold of the of the code of conduct and changed it. Could you answer that, please? It's a good question. But first, I'll say I appreciate your comment because I live to scare Tad. And if I can do that, I feel like my day is <laughs> complete. It's, it's been a gradual creeping uh, erosion of public protection. It's been a gradual influx of corporatism and profits over people. And I... I don't even know if I can explain it or understand it myself, but this is not my father's day and time where you used, you know, the 60s, the 70s, where you used to be able to trust a banker or a, or a lawyer in Van, and I talked about a decline in the profession overall, and I think Jane Jacobs, Toronto resident in a book called Dark Age Ahead, wrote about one of the keys of a decline of a society is when the professionals, professional agencies and associations lose their ability to serve in a professional manner and start to become predatory. And somehow we have gotten there and our politicians have gone asleep at the switch. They have other interests, the interest of being re-elected. In the U.S., I understand that there's a full-time job of raising money just to get re-elected. And I, I don't know. When I was a stockbroker, there was a, a part-time job of finding clients so who I could have some money to manage and managing the money. They're two different roles. One's a salesperson, one's an advisor. Uh, those, those two roles don't, don't mix very well. It's very hard to find a balance. And I think the balance has gone almost completely towards need money. How do I get money? Almost a caveman mentality of money. Not, not any kind of service or um, provision of anything. So it's, uh, it's, a it's a decline that I regret and I... Um, you know, I look forward to someday being uh, gainfully employed in an area where I can uh, I can do some good in that area. Up until now, I just enjoy telling people how not to be preyed upon. Because if we do a transfer of wealth to uh, to the criminally rich in North America at the rate we've done it in the last ten or more years, 
our children and children's children will not have an economy nor a, a job. They'll have a place in prison, but I don't know that they'll have a place in the productive part of this economy. Sorry for the doom and gloom, guys. Anybody got anything good to say today? You think, Tad? Can I ask a question? Sure. sure. Now that I've scared you, I owe you something. I am uh, speaking unlike me. I think part of the problem is us. We love money. We want to be rich. Yes. And we admire rich people. Therefore, we let the rich people off more easily than the guy who steal my wallet on the street. Uh, isn't it partly because of the mentality of competitive society where the good guys always wins, and uh, those win. Those who win, they acquire. Uh, comment? Okay. Yeah, a comment is that, uh, yes, I agree, we are the problem. It, it does ultimately come from us, what we allow, what we encourage, what we worship, what we uh, admire. I'm, I'm looking for a very, very small constituency of, of people that I can relate to and talk to and... Uh, have meetings and investment discussions with like this that want to be part of the solution and just just uh, protect themselves from from um, a really negative a negative slide in economics and things. I, I love talking to people about just how to avoid the downhill slide that we seem to be going on in society and finance and that kind of thing. So if anybody would like to chat with me sometime, I am I am wide open to the discussion. I was part of the, uh, with Mike over there, the Citizens for Better Governance way back when, when we were battling the uh, city around the election time and the $30 million stuff. And I just like to be publicly aware and, and, uh, and learn things. So thank you very much. Have we taken up enough of everybody's time, Austin? If there are no more questions, I think we need to express our appreciation to our guest speaker today. Thank you.